Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thanks for joining me for another inspiring and uplifting conversation. The Love Code is a wonderful place to come and visit so you can truly be inspired, so you can be supported on your journey of awakening and to remember how unlimited we are. And we have the possibility and potential within us to create the life we want, to overcome any challenges. And in fact, the challenges are what inspires us to grow and evolve and become more conscious. So it's learning how to navigate life however it shows up so we can truly get the the um, the, the juicy learning. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to have a great conversation with uh, a truly inspiring guest. We're going to be talking about uh, five ways to accelerate your spiritual growth with Radha Metro Nikit. So let me tell you a little bit about Radha. She's the executive director of the Integral Yoga Institute of New York. And she embodies a lifetime of rich and diverse experience in both the realms of yoga and business. Her upbringing in yoga began at an early age, having been raised under the tutelage of Sri Swami Satchidananda at Yogaville. Her parents, integral yoga ministers, Bhagavan and Bhagavani Metro, moved several times to ensure her and her five siblings received an integral yoga school in Yogaville via Lama education from first to twelfth grade. At the young age of eighteen, Radha was already certified as both a Hatha Yoga and Rasa Yoga instructor. Furthermore, she was among a select group of four individuals to receive a direct blessing of Dharma confirmation from Swami Satchidananda a rare and highly coveted honor. Well, we have Radha with us today, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Radha Metro Midkit to our show. Radha, so nice to have you here. Oh, Dr. Cheryl, thank you so much for having me here. Um, what an incredible intro into the podcast. That's I, I love every single thing you were saying. <laughs> well, um, it, it, you know, it's really a labor of love. And uh, and this show was born from um, an interview I had with a, a wonderful uh, teacher, and uh, uh, he invited me to uh, attend one of his retreats, and then uh, I wanted to honor him in some way. So I said, how about if I do a podcast all about spiritual things? <laughs> so that's how this came about. So, oh. Uh, and and it's been wonderful because, um, you know, I have another program on Progressive Radio Network, but this one just opens up more, I have more opportunities to interview people like you. So I kind of double, double my my joy having both programs. And um, and it has been a joy. It's a, truly a labor of love. This is a non-commercial radio station. So it's <laughs> a set of love. And uh, uh, I have opportunities to have conversations with people like you, Rada, that I would never be able to probably have a one-on-one -on -one hour conversation with about life, universe, and everything, you know? So, um, so yeah, so it's a pleasure to, to be doing the show and certainly to have have people like you to have wonderful, inspiring conversations with. So, so Rada, let's talk a little bit about your your personal journey. You've had quite an ex 
extraordinary um, entry into this third dimension uh, because of this early spiritual training from your parents and from their their dedication and and, and uh, you know I wish more children would have this kind of education right it, it yeah. changes the, the trajectory of yourself and your life it absolutely does and I think that um the older I get, the more I appreciate the blessings that were given to me that I didn't even really, you know, I mean, yes, on a soul level, many lifetimes <laughs> of spiritual uh, seeking that led me here. However, um, in this lifetime, it feels just like such an incredible blessing because, you know, when I when I started on my journey, obviously, I was like one year old when we met Swami Satchidananda. But nobody had really heard of yoga in the mainstream. And so I really thought that, you know, for the first part of my life, it was very fringe. And um, people were confused about what I was doing, what my life was about, and what that looked like. And then as it started to become mainstream, really the blessings of what I was given became really clear and evident to me because people were just starting on this journey, and I had already had 20 years on the journey. So right. 20, sometimes 30 years by the time it really exploded into the mainstream. So it's given me this incredible opportunity to give back now the wisdom and the teachings and that um, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about meditation and I was like, you know, I started meditating at, you know, four or five years old. So now I almost have 50 years of meditation under my belt, but I'm only 51. <laughs> <laughs> well, um I have I have a couple of a couple of things that uh, I wanted to ask you. First of all, um, your parents. <laughs> I mean, your parents were into this, you know, early on, and they were connected to uh, Swami Satchidananda. So, for people who don't know anything about Swami Satchidananda, can you say something about him? First of all, yeah, so, so to honor him. Yeah. So Swami Satchidananda um, was an Indian. Swami from South India, and he was, a, you know, raised in a very spiritual family from day one, and he went on to get married. He had children. He was living a very normal lifestyle, and then um, depending on which story you hear, either his wife left him or she passed away. It's, we actually just started getting a little bit more insight into that recently that originally we always thought that his wife had passed away, and then we found out his family had just said that she died because supposedly she ran off and left the family. And back then, that was unheard of. You don't leave your family. Well, this led him to a huge spiritual crisis of, like, what am I doing? What is my life about? What is the meaning beyond it? And he started on his spiritual journey. So he started traveling around India, studying under different teachers. So Sri Aurobindo was one of them. We were talking about that earlier before we came on air. Um, and he was studying with all of these great masters. And so finally he ended up um, in the Himalayas and he landed with Master Shivananda from Divine Life Society. And that's who he actually ended up taking sannyas with. Um, and that's what sort of started him on his teaching path. And his path is a, a spiritual guide himself. And then um, through a series of <laughs> adventures, he ended up in Hong Kong teaching. And there he met a filmmaker, Conrad Brooks, 
who insisted that he come to meet his friend Peter Max in New York City. And so in 1966, he landed in New York City. Um, mm. He had his little sandals on and his just his dhoti <laughs> and his little wrap. And it was, you know, winter in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he and landed at the house of the artist Peter Max. And after one night of giving satsang, which is, you know, him speaking about yoga teachings, they said, Swami, you can't leave. We need you here in the U.S. You have to stay here. So um, as a renunciate, he said, well, I just am meant to go where I am useful and where I can teach. And so he stayed here, and slowly um, more and more people were drawn to his message. He was a very um, – he was very good at taking these really ancient, very powerful teachings of yoga and translating them in such a way that anybody can understand them and grasp the deep meaning behind them. Um he has still to this day one of the top-selling translations and commentaries on the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So almost every yoga studio uses his translation and his commentary because of the way that he can take these deep teachings and make them so simple. So he started growing our organization. We started with just one uh, center in New York, which is actually where I work now as the executive director. We've been in the same building in Greenwich Village since 1971. And then we started spreading out and having centers around the world, and eventually he uh, landed us in Connecticut where we had an ashram where we started the yoga school. And then um, he had this vision of building a lotus temple, which was this temple in the shape of a lotus flower that was going to be dedicated to all the world religions. And it was a place where everybody could come and worship together. You know, growing up in India, he saw a lot of fighting in the name of religion. The Hindus hated the Sikhs. The Sikhs hated the Muslims. Uh, the Jains were just trying to mind their own business. And um, there were all these different religious groups, and they were all fighting. And so it was really instilled in him this feeling like we got to stop fighting in the name of religion. So he started some of the first interfaith ecumenical services uh, that had been done in the West, he was with a rabbi and a, um, a priest, and they would do these services together. And that's where he got the vision for the Lotus Temple. So when he wanted to build the Lotus Temple, he had to find a place um, to put this temple. And we started looking for land all around the world, really, but certainly around the U.S. And we finally ended up landing on this um, spot along the James River in central Virginia. And so that is where we actually built our home, which is Yogaville, and we ended up building the Lotus Temple there. And then, you know, Yogaville is the international headquarters of Integral Yoga, and um, we have centers now all over the world where we teach our particular brand of yoga, which um, the key essence of Integral Yoga is that we are based in not just the physical asanas, so we practice six different branches of yoga and integrate the entire yogic science and philosophy as opposed to just focusing on the asana itself. So that and, is a, and recap, that, a quick recap of who we are and what we do. <laughs> that's quite, it's quite an amazing journey. I am I, always um, just awed by how a person's dharma, you know, here's this, beautiful soul arrives in New York with his sandals and his wrap and 
all of a sudden this destiny unfolds, right? And and now it's a worldwide organization. And the other thing that I really appreciate about what you said, it's not, you know, yoga becomes, I mean, it's a yoga center almost on every corner these days, right? It's so popular. But there is, it's only one piece of a greater teaching. And um, to to be able to have the entire teaching is really what it, which, what is really required because it was never just to be about asanas on its own, right? That was just to support the greater wisdom. Exactly, exactly. And that is one of the things that I think makes us really unique. And in this, you know, especially in this post-COVID world where so many of these lineage-based yogas that, you know, were not as flashy and popular um, ended up either going under or losing their homes we feel really blessed that uh, we still have this home in this space so that we're able to bring this really authentic lineage-based yoga still to the people of New York City who really need it more than ever because the asanas are so powerful. Um, I always say any yoga is good yoga. I don't care if you're doing goat yoga. I'm happy you're just doing yoga. <laughs> but it is, it's not the full picture, and you can gain so much more, um, you know, so much more depth of your experience when you actually practice the full rounded path of yoga as opposed to just um, picking out just the asana and, and doing that. So I just, I love integral yoga. I love talking about integral yoga because to me it is just, you know, again, it's it's a 5,000-year-old science. And that's what I always love to tell people. I'm like, this was considered a science. This was not considered a philosophy or religion it really was a science of how to become peaceful, how to recognize your true self, how to move through your day with equanimity every day. And it is just as relevant today in 2023 as it was 5,000 years ago. It's not more so. Well, uh, that's the, um, you know, profound understanding of the tradition out of India, that the, these teachings that have been handed down for thousands, you know, I mean, probably more than 5,000 years, to be honest. But it was, <laughs> you know, it was, it was like brought through, right? In the ancient times, this wisdom was directly channeled into consciousness, into this dimension for for humans to to remember and reconnect with their true connection to source and all the possibilities of what that means, right? I, I, you know, if I'm even communicating, it's even hard to communicate, but I just know that that tradition, that, you know, having lived in India and, and South India, which is where so much of the original teachings came from, from that culture, that that particular part of the culture, which is the ancient part of India, um, is, is is extraordinary. That you know, it's and it's been in, embodied and continues to this day. Yeah, and I think that Swami Satchidananda did such a great job of really showing us how to integrate yoga into our daily life. So it's not something we just do on a mat. It's something that is literally how we move through the world, how we eat, how we sleep, how we put the toilet paper on the roll, how we do every last little thing in our life with the presence of mind and an awareness that embodies these incredible teachings of yoga. 
And I think that's one of the reasons also why we've always had a strong community. There's, you know, very few Western ashrams and certainly not very many that are as large as ours. So Yogaville, um, pre-COVID, probably had about 300 to 400 permanent residents at any given time. Now we're down to maybe 200 permanent residents, and but growing again because yeah. it's about living and being with each other and being in community. And, of course, um, we don't currently have a school, but back when I was growing up, that was one of the visions of growing um, this school and teaching these children from such a young age, just like they do in India. Only in India, it's only these usually young men who get to study the yogic teachings, right? They can go into a temple or they can go into um, study under a guru, but very rarely was it offered to women. And so to have young females um, being trained and taught yoga in a school system like that was pretty pretty rare. And to do it in a Western culture, in a Western setting, was almost unheard of. Well, if we you know, have, if we could, um, how I want to say this, to be able to take a young, a young child and um, um, teach them, you know, breath and asanas and, and, and wisdoms and just be in an environment where they are honored for their souls, which, you know, there are some strains of teaching that, that do that. You know, I think the Steiner method, you know, there are people doing that, but mm-hmm. we should what a different culture, what a different world we would have if we instilled these values and this consciousness into our children, at, you know, at, before birth. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes, and definitely yeah. like teaching these children at any point where we can kind of catch them and give them some of these um, some of these teachings is really powerful. And I think that's one of the reasons here at Integral Yoga in New York, we have a yoga at school program. And so we go either into schools or we have the the children come into the institute and learn. Most of our yoga at school program, interestingly enough, is hitting teenagers right now. And it's actually a really fun time to expose them to yoga. Um, I'd love to get them even a little bit younger, but we have, you know, some days we'll have like 15 teenagers running around the yoga center. <laughs> Yeah. And I've, it brings me such joy because I realize, like, the teenagers, they're old enough that they're starting to understand, um, you know, real struggles like depression, anxiety, and and how that has an impact on their life. And when we can give them these really just simple but profound tools to shift that for them, um, I think that's where it becomes really powerful. And, of course, when, you know, I feel like when I was young, we were doing it a lot on faith, right? We just knew that the teachings worked. We saw it in our own lives. Um, but it was still very fringe and people didn't understand what we were doing, whereas now it's backed up by science. So we can actually show what's happening in the brain as we're doing these um, these different practices and how the different brain centers are lighting up as we're doing it and how it's affecting our dopamine, our serotonin, um, and reducing our cortisol. And so we can actually teach these young people now not only just the practices, but also how modern science is proving why and how the practices work. Which is fascinating. 
in the more, especially in, in our in our Western world, we like that evidence, right? We <laughs> <laughs> do. Sure. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. I, I just wanted to ask about your parents because, um, you know, you had an extraordinary parents who dedicated their lives to doing this teaching. How, you know, how did they find their way into this, into this you know, spiritual path? It's really interesting because they had similar paths but sort of different paths. And my mother was raised um, pretty Christian. She went to church and uh, – but she always really loved it. Like she always loved youth group and she was always really involved in community. And um, my dad, on the other hand, he traveled around a lot. My grandfather was in professional baseball. And so mm-hmm. he was constantly traveling with his dad and they were moving from town to town until finally they settled in Colorado. But my grandfather, um, I think because he was in sports, he got turned on very early to the power of the mind and how what we think can transform our world and can transform our reality. And so he started to instill some of this into his children. And then my parents met actually in high school. They're so stinking cute. Like they were high school sweethearts who then ended up getting married and having six children and uh, you know, 17 grandchildren, and, you know, I think they've got eight great-grandchildren now. <laughs> yeah. They're trying. But, <laughs> but they kind of started on this journey um, together, and then they were, you know, it was the 60s, and so a lot of people were seeking, and they were looking to, like, drugs and, um, you know, kind of the hippie movement to look at a different way of living in society. But my parents had young kids, and so they kind of didn't get too involved in all of that. So I think they started leaning more towards the spiritual side of things, and so they were looking for communities to raise their kids. And they actually were studying with Eknafesh Warren, um, and they were doing meditation out in California, and really wanted to join his community. And it's so interesting because he said, no, I'm not your teacher. And he basically turned them away from the community. And so they just kept looking. And, you know, we spent some time at the Hare Krishnas and uh, Unity Church. And finally, um, my dad was invited to go to this lecture uh, by Swami Satchidananda. And he said that this the minute that he went in there, um, something really awakened in him. And everything he was saying made so much sense. So he runs home and tells my mom, and then drags her back and says, you gotta, you got to come see this guy. you got to listen to him. By this time, again, they had already been doing yoga. Um, my, <laughs> I love to tell the story. My parents were vegetarian. Uh, before they even met Swami Satsudananda, my dad was down in Ecuador. And uh, he comes back from dredging gold in Ecuador. And he'd seen a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, putrefied meat while he was in Ecuador. And he had been... Um, actually on the path of being a, um, he was doing animal husbandry. So he was learning actually how to make animal feed for these big feedlots. And one day they're in the grocery store and my dad just had this realization, like, this is it. We're not going to eat meat anymore. So here's my mother. She's got, uh, I think I was, I wasn't born yet. So it was, um, she had three young kids. He turns around the grocery store and says, we're not going to eat meat anymore. And my mother, being the incredible person she is, she looks at him and she goes, Okay. <laughs> and that was it. Like they're in the grocery store, store grocery shopping and she's like, okay, we're not going to eat meat anymore. I guess, I guess I'll be doing a different kind of grocery shopping today. 
So I think that I like telling that story because it shows you sort of the um, the spirit they had in their own hearts so that when they mm-hmm. found Swami Satchidananda, they felt like they really had found a home with him. And then the thing that attracted my mom most was how they had community and how they welcomed children. And that really meant a lot to her. And when she first saw him um, interact with her children and the love and joy and sweetness in which he interacted with her, her young babies, that was it. That was, she was sold. Um, and he was. He was like the most fun, uh, playful, uh, just <laughs> delightful. He was like the best grandfather you could ever imagine where every time we saw him he was just full of hugs and kisses and love Mm -hmm. and fun and you know just all sorts of um, wonderful experiences with him so my parents then really dedicated themselves fully they were the first group of um, integral yoga interfaith ministers that went through ordination and they really just committed themselves to living at Yogaville and raising their children and grandchildren and families there. And they're still incredible ministers of integral yoga. Um, my mother just sort of semi-retired from doing weddings. She's almost 78 years old, and she's still been out there performing weddings like crazy. Um, my dad serves on many boards at um, Yogaville, and they're so supportive of all of their children. But the other day I was just asking dad, I said, you know, I need someone to teach this particular branch of yoga. Do you think you could do it? And so he was like, yeah, me and your brother, we'll fly up to New York and, and we'll we'll support you. We'll help you out. So um, they're also really supportive of all the work that I do here. And I really um, i am so grateful for that, to have these incredible spiritual parents that live and breathe and, again, embody the teachings. And um, that has made it a really unique upbringing for me, especially because, um, you know, we all have karma that we go through and we come into this life sometimes with difficult karma and certainly all of their children had their own karma to go through. So it's not like, you know, you learn the yogic teachings as a kid and then your life is just perfect and easy. You still have your karma. But we all have managed to make it through those um, negative karmic experiences with the tools of yoga and the support of our parents, that really, I think, makes a difference between somebody thriving and then somebody, um, you know, succumbing to whatever those difficult life experiences are. So I really am very grateful to have the parents that I have. And and that's such an important point, that we're all going to have our challenges in life. It's uh, to the degree we have resources, and and by that I mean inner resources, just have some inner compass that we could rely on, some guidance, some trust, and and practices that we can put it into a greater context of what what is happening. I, I always find, personally, astrology really helpful when I'm going through a challenging time because it gives me a context to understand that these are the the energies that I am bringing into my life for the greater purpose, and I can hang in there and you know, work with it. Yeah. In any way, right? We can understand if we if we have the teachings. They just or, or just knowing that we can breathe and we can, you know, do read something inspiring. It's just what um, allows us to move through the growth 
spurt we are in of our soul, which is what it's all about. So, um, you know, that's what we're learning is those resources to have to have those strengths that we can call upon in times of a challenge and to see it in the context of um, an opportunity of greater growth and greater spiritual awakening. Yeah, and they're so they're so powerful. And again, like you know, I haven't always practiced the teachings daily. You know, I I was a twenty year old once, um, and certainly went out and did all kinds of stuff in my twenties. Um, but I always continue to come back to the practices. And um, for me personally, you know, it was a very I went through a very dark time um, back in two thousand. I was working on Wall Street and. Um, during September 11th. And so I was a block away from the World Trade Center when the first building fell. And then I worked a block away from the World Trade Center for a year afterwards where we were just every day, it was just we were overlooking ground zero. The fires were burning. We were just, it was complete, you know, it was like living in this total hell for a year. And by the time I finally left, um, I was suffering from severe anxiety, depression. Um, it was like all the tools in the world. I couldn't quite get myself, you know, back on track. And so I came back to Yogaville and really started delving back into the daily practices and went back to really, you know, that meditation three times a day, those Hatha yoga practices, the asanas, um, the spiritual study, and really it saved my life because I really would not be here today if I had not had these tools to lean back into. And now I'm grateful for the experience because I see that I really, truly, on a very practical level, understand how powerful these teachings are and what they can do for your life when you practice them. Yeah, that's you know, beautiful to uh to, uh to to go through that dark night of your soul and for you to have a community to return to, to support you and hold you in that space as you Well, and that is, yeah, that's the great blessing of my life, right? And that's why I say, like, yes, okay, I did something in past lives, but I also really appreciate the fact that, like, um, my parents gave that to me to so that when I went through those hard experiences, I did have something to lean into. And that's why I also feel really passionate now about sharing this as far and wide as I possibly can because not everybody has that blessing of having those parents, but everyone can have the blessing of these practices, of these teachings, and especially, gosh, New York City after COVID is a, it's it's a sad place. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people really struggling, and it was really, really hard to be in New York. Luckily, we were in Virginia. We didn't come till afterwards, but I see the, you know, the PTSD on the faces of the people that were here living through that experience. And so it feels like such a blessing to say, you know what, like, I I can support you. I have tools. We have simple things that we can do to help you through that experience and to find the light again on the other side. And that, I think, is one of the great blessings of the experience I had to go through in my life um, and why I look back now and, you know, see it as one of one of my greatest gifts because it's given me the ability to understand that and then to translate it. And when people are in that pain, I can say, I see you, and 
and I can support you. I can help you through this. Right. Yeah. You know, um, when I was doing my psychotherapy work, one of the awarenesses that I have is if you really want to support someone, it's not what you say, it's who you are. It's the yeah. consciousness that you that you hold within you, right? It's your frequency. That's what really communicates and that's what really supports and heals. It's not about the words. So the more we gather these life experiences and they strengthen us in our compassion, right, and our awareness, the more we can our presence is what heals. Exactly. Exactly. And and um I learned that from Swami Satchidananda. Like, really, that's what I think about every day, like, who he was and who, what his presence was like and what it was like to be in his presence. And can I embody just a glimmer of that for somebody else? And sometimes it's just as simple as smiling at somebody on the the subway or walking down the street. I mean, New York is such a fun place to practice that because you have a million opportunities a day to touch someone's life in just a really small way. Not by something huge that you do, but just by your presence and who you are in that moment with them. Yeah, it's very powerful when you understand the power, just the presence of love, just radiating it. So I want to kind of segue into what are those five ways to accelerate your spiritual growth that um, that, that you want to share with everyone? Yeah, so you're totally going to laugh at me, um, Dr. Cheryl, because I have those five ways, but I do not have them written right in front of me. So we may have to... Uh, <laughs> well, I think you probably can, uh, off the cuff, come up with some good ones, even if not, <laughs> not the original ones. <laughs> if not the original ones, I can come up with some, <laughs> some good ones. But basically, I think you have a lot on... to share with us, Rada. It doesn't really matter <laughs> what they are. <laughs> what What inspires you? What do you want to share that comes to you now? Yeah, so um, the beauty of those five ways is that they're based on these six branches of integral yoga and how each of them can enhance your life and how you can do all six of them or you can just choose one and focus on one at a time, which is really beautiful. So the six branches are basically Hatha yoga, which is the asana that so many of us are familiar with. Raja Yoga, which is the study of the spiritual books or the philosophy, which also encompasses our meditation practice. Then we have Bhakti Yoga, which is the yoga of um, devotion, um, love, uh, and and opening your heart both to uh, a higher power and to everyone around you. And then we have Karma Yoga, which is selfless service. Yana Yoga, which is one of the more fascinating ones and one that we don't actually, maybe it's a little bit like um, uh, being with an analyst or something, but yana yoga is really the question of who am I and constantly analyzing and looking at yourself and digging deeper and deeper into who your true self is. And then lastly, we have japa yoga. And japa yoga is the repetition of holy names or these um, mantras that we do. Now, the incredible thing about each of these different branches is that, again, now science actually has the information that they can back up that shows how and why each of these branches is having an effect on us 
and looking at it from really a, like a biochemical uh, viewpoint. So if we're talking about, I like to always give people some really small practices because I always like to say it doesn't have to be big and huge. Um, each of these can be really simple and something that you can incorporate into your daily practice. So if we just start with, let's say, bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga is a perfect example of just what we were saying, like opening yourself up to love, loving um, both a higher power, tapping into that higher power of divine love, and then sharing it with everyone around you. And so that can be as simple as smiling, right, and just offering a beautiful smile to someone. And we know now that when we smile and we look at someone and we see them smile back at us, we actually get dopamine and serotonin released in our own brains. And so it actually is like these feel-good chemicals flush our own system when we do this simple act of giving to someone else and then receiving. Now, if you want to up-level that, then you can do it through the selfless service or the karma yoga. And the karma yoga shows that um, acts of selfless service, right, this is like why we like to do these random acts of love or random acts of service, um, it actually does make us feel better. So even though we think that we're doing something for someone else, on a biochemical level, we are actually getting more benefit than probably even we're giving to the person we're actually serving. <laughs> it's one of those things where you think you're giving to someone else, but actually you're getting more in return. <laughs> I think that's why people be... like – I just want to say that's what philanthropy is really so much about, you know, um, when you're giving selflessly, uh, it makes you feel good. Uh, you know, there's a there's a uh, online uh, uh, nonprofit called Kiva, and it's micro lending. Oh, so, my favorite. Uh, have you heard of Kiva? Yeah. Do you oh know Kiva? Yeah. So you know what I love about that way of giving? It's uh, it's twenty five dollars. Make your first initial donation to someone somewhere in the world who is applying for um, a, a microloan so they can raise, you know, put pigs in their farm in Ecuador or buy seed in Kenya, whatever, people who are so much more disadvantaged. But then you get repaid. And then it goes round and round and round. And, and I've round. done this for many years, and it helped like 300-something people in 30 different countries with like, you know, an initial funding of $25, which is just recycled. And every time I do that, Rada, just give someone, you know, $25 towards their loan, I notice I just feel so good. <laughs> so that's exactly what you're talking about. It's a simple thing. I am totally going to back you up on that one. If, if your listeners have not checked out Kiva yet, they really should go out and support them because it is such a fun process. Um, I came from the salon and spa industry, so I have sponsored more salons and spas around the world than you can imagine. <laughs> I may have single-handedly yeah. created a whole <laughs> spa network in the world. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. But, you know, that, that you – when you give, you receive. You absolutely receive. And this happens on, you know, I don't talk about this on a lot of shows, but I think your listeners can probably, they're familiar with um, some deeper concepts. So the other really powerful thing about karma yoga is it's not just a re immediate receiving. 
So the whole idea of karma is that every action that you have has an equal and opposite reaction, right? So, or um, the fact that when we do something, it will come back to us in some form. We're creating these some scars or these impressions um, that are just given impressions. It's not good or bad necessarily, but it is an impression that we've created, and that impression will have an effect on us at some point. So the beauty of this selfless service when it's done without any expectation is we can actually clear those impressions. So, um, you know, through yoga, we understand that from lifetime to lifetime to lifetime, we can have these impressions. It's part of the reason why, you know, you know, you, you have weird things that you bring with you where you're just like, I don't know why I know that. Or we meet, see the young children who can play the piano. Um, and we don't understand why this three-year-old can play the piano because we have these impressions that we carry with our soul. And the act of selfless service can clear any negative impressions that we have. And so, yes, I like to discuss it with people on like a light level of like, yeah, you feel really good and it's a really nice thing. But on a really deep spiritual level, we are actually clearing any past, um, particularly negative impressions that we've created for ourselves. And so, um, particularly if you're somebody who has anxiety about the future um, or the past or things that you've done in the past and, you know, if you have guilt or you feel like, you know, I hurt someone in the past, I don't know what to do about it, karma yoga is a really powerful cosmic way to, like, clear that energy from your life. And so it's it's a very, very, very powerful and profound practice that has really deep meaning. We cannot measure that by science yet, but I guarantee you someday we will be able to. <laughs> You're just going to have to trust me on this one for now. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think everything we do matters. And in, in, in some way or other, it's a frequency. You know, everything is a, is, is, is a frequency that we are holding and expressing. And it makes it, it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm really into understanding the the world of frequencies, right? Everything is a frequency. Yeah. Yes, it's very powerful because we are energy, right? We are all just made up of this energetic force. And that's one of the really powerful things about yogic teachings, too, is realizing, like, when we say we are all one, uh, we're not meaning it in some esoteric way. We're saying... Literally, we are more energy than we are matter. And, like, you know, if you look at a molecule and you look at the um, the nucleus of the molecule and then you look at the electrons flying around it, there is more empty space in there than actual concrete things. And so we realize that, like, the deeper and deeper we go, the more we try to break down these atoms, we keep getting to a point where we're like, but there's just space. There's just something that's in, in there. And so when we look at that, we realize that, you know, the separation between, you know, I'm sitting at this desk, the separation between my hand and this desk is an illusion. We are not mm -hmm. solid. This is just energy touching energy, and we have the belief that it's solid because that's what we believe. But really, um, my my atoms, my cells, my energy is literally merging into the same energy as this desk. It is not something that's separate from us. So we really do practice this idea that I am one with you. I, you know, and that universal energy connects you and I directly when we focus on it right now, right? 
it can transcend time and space very quickly. So you and I are no longer separate. We are here as one together with our energies connected. And again, I know that this sounds a little woo-woo if you're not familiar with these concepts, but when you start looking at, um, you know, when you're looking at physics and we start talking about crazy stuff like string theories and all this kind of stuff, then we start to see that there is actually some burgeoning science that's backing up these ideas. It's not these yogis knew what they were talking about. Somehow they had tapped into some universal science and awareness that um, we are just starting to understand now again in 2023. Well, you did a really beautiful explanation of how we're all one because we are mostly energy, 99.99999% you know, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, it, how would you define someone who is on a spiritual path? How would you define, you know, we, we talked about this being a spiritual show and spiritual growth, and we talk a lot about, we use that word a lot. How would you define what it means to be spiritual? So I think mean? we're all on a spiritual path. I think whether we know it or not, we are on a spiritual journey. There are some that through their own, you know, grace or evolution or the practices that that they've been doing, we are more aware of it. But this whole life is a spiritual journey. That's all it is. It's a journey back to that awareness of our own soul and who we are. So in yoga, we learn that we are pure um, Atman or pure energy, pure light. Um, one with everything. And it's through our own impressions, again, some of these impressions and the thoughts that go through our mind uh, that create, Swami Satchitanadi uses an example of a mirror. If you're looking at the mirror, you see your your um, reflection and you're like, oh, I look so beautiful today. Look at me. Now imagine if somebody goes and smears mud all over the mirror. Then you go, oh, no, I'm mud, like my face is a mess, right? This is what we do in our day-to-day lives. But really, we are still beautiful. It's just the mirror that got dirty. And so when we're looking at our spiritual journey, some of us are a little bit more aware that it's just the mirror that got dirty, and so we're just actively cleaning our mirror. Some people are on the spiritual journey, but they just haven't gotten there yet to have the wisdom and understand that the mirror got dirty. So they're still um, identifying more with the image that they're seeing in the mirror. So for me, the difference between what we call quote-unquote spiritual people or not spiritual people is that those of us who are on an active spiritual path are just aware. We're just aware that like, oh, there's something deeper, there's something greater. We know that that impression or that reflection in the mirror that's dirty is not me. Um, I am something divine, I am something higher, I am something connected. And all the practices that we do, um, whether you are Buddhist or, you know, the Christian mystics or um, the whirling dervishes, all of those practices are bringing us back to that awareness that we are that pure, true self and that everything else is just illusion. It's just the dirty reflection. So oh, that's, that's, a great, that's how I see spiritual people. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a wonderful way to explain it, you know, that, that we're, um, we're learning how to identify with that pure radiance 
part of the essence of us rather than um, the dramas, right? I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. That's the mud. You know, I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy. And those programs that are so interesting that humans come in with this um, agenda (laughs) of their, their, uh, you know, their fears, anxieties, their disconnect from themselves, and then the journey is um, reconnecting again. It's it's like the game that was set up here. (laughs) Forgetting and remembering, right? Forgetting and remembering. And honestly, like, part of the fun of the game is sometimes forgetting that you're in the game, right? I mean, when we're playing, when you see young people playing video games, they want to forget for a minute that they're playing a video game. They want to just become absorbed into the game. But at some point, you have to remember, it's just a game. Um, I'm not actually of the game. So if I die in that game, I didn't really die. I'm still here. And just to swing back around to practices, one of the most powerful practices for um, cleaning that mirror and creating that remembrance is meditation. And particularly Mm -hmm. when we use mantras along with meditation. So mantra Mm -hmm. is just a sound vibration. Many of them don't even have a direct meaning. It is just like we are saying that we are energy, the whole universe is energy, and that energy also has sounds. And so one of the universal sounds that like the entire universe was created from, which again, we're starting to be able to measure now, um, you know, they're starting to have glimpses that the universe and things actually have sound that's associated to them. But the universal sound is ohm. So the universe was actually created out of the sound ohm. That's why we have ohm or amen or sounds like this in a lot of different religions. And when you are silent in that meditation and you just repeat ohm, you are tapping into that universal energy, that universal awareness. And it's almost like, I'd like to think of it as also like kind of scrubbing my brain. So like if I have a lot of negative thoughts going on or a lot of negativity, I just like start saying ohm and just imagine it like cleaning all the negative pathways, all the dirty stuff out of my brain and cleaning it up so that it's all, I'm, again, I'm seeing that clear reflection again. And that is literally one of the most powerful practices you can do. You can do it kind of anywhere, anytime. You don't have to sit for, um, you know, hours at a time. Three minutes can be a powerful practice of just repeating ohm your mind starts to wander don't force it don't get upset just gently bring it back to the ohm and just that one simple practice can completely transform your life i mean if you did nothing else and you just did that one practice that would be enough everything else is like icing on the cake after that and as you're talking about that i remembered i had a guest who was saying that when you chant ohm it is uh that that sound will actually activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which your vagus yes. nerve. And yes. so by yes. saying that 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 energy, that that chant, um, you're actually putting your you're you're activating your vagus nerve, which puts you into a parasympathetic state, which is where you can relax and heal. So it has some powerful ramifications when you just chant ohm. It really does. Yeah, and we know when our when our minds and our bodies are in that parasympathetic 
state, then they're much uh, more likely to be able to do the healing processes that are necessary for keeping us in health and wellness. When we are flooded with stress hormones, our body is so busy dealing with the stress, it cannot do the healing work that it needs to do to keep us healthy. So again, just this one simple practice, if like your listeners take nothing else from this call, just do this one simple practice. Start with three minutes, three times a day, slowly build that up. Swami Satchidananda always said, you don't need to do more than 30 minutes three times a day. That's the most you ever have to meditate. And that is enough for your lifetime. But I'm always amazed by how few of us actually can pull off that 30 minutes three times a day, myself included. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lifetime challenge for me. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, in, a, in a couple of minutes, kind of at the end of the show, but um, just to talk a bit about, um, what, first of all, the website. If people want to learn more about all the programs, go to yogaville.org. That's yogaville.org. And any uh, anything else you want to say about your programs and your and I know you have that wonderful Integral Yoga Institute in New York, um, but you have lots of things going on online. Yes, so we absolutely do. So if you go to yogaville.org, they have actual like destination um, programs. You can go travel to Yogaville itself and do a lot of programs. They also have a lovely subscription service that you can join that will allow you to do yoga online and learn more about integral yoga. And if you are wanting to do some more in-person stuff or have more live um, online classes, uh, you can come to our website here in New York, which is I-Y-I-N-Y. So that stands for Integral Yoga Institute New York, I-Y-I-N-Y.org. And you can sign up for all sorts of online hybrid classes. We do workshops and um, we even do some like uh, hybrid kirtans and which is chanting. We have all kinds of events that you can join us for. And certainly if you're in New York City itself, you could stop by and say hi to me. You could come in and tell me that you uh, heard me on Dr. Cheryl's show and I would be so excited. Oh, that would be fun. Okay, all you guys in New York. Stop in. Say hi to Rada from Cheryl. You know what? Um, if you tell me you came from Dr. Cheryl's show, I might even give you a free yoga class. How about that? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> They'll be coming in from all over the country now. <laughs> um, Rada, you know, this has been such a delight. I, I just want to thank you and thank you for the, the dedication that you've put into this journey in this lifetime and the wonderful work you're doing. And now as the executive director, it's kind of come full circle in a sense, all your experiences from the age of one, <laughs> you know, yeah. bringing you back to, uh, to supporting such a wonderful, um, a wonderful organization, a wonderful wisdom school. So um, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done in this lifetime to support all of us on the planet right now. We all we need to. <laughs> Thanks again. No. And thank you for providing us with forums where we can get these teachings out and we have a place to have discussions like this because it really it really does matter and people need this. And so thank you for having this space and dedicating your time and energy because I know having a podcast is, is you know, it's it's time consuming. You gotta be really dedicated to that podcast. <laughs> So I just yeah. want to thank you, too, for, for being dedicated to enlightening 
people and, and allowing people to come in and share the wisdom of this space. Well, thank you so much. I wish I were in New York and love to come give you a hug, but we'll have to <laughs> give you a virtual we'll hug. We'll take a rain check. <laughs> um, so, so, again, uh, for everyone who's been listening, we've had this absolutely delightful conversation with Radha Metro Mitkiff, and she's the executive director of the Interpol Yoga Integral Yoga Institute of New York. You can learn more about the programs there, or you can go to the website, yogaville.org. And, uh, you know, dip in. Just, just do something to begin to shift your energy into seeing that you are that radiant being looking into the mirror and not the reflection with the little mud splattered on it. <laughs> it, it, it will transform your life. So, Radha, thank you again. It's just an absolute delight. And uh, to all of you listening, it's always been a delight having to uh, share these shows with you. So until next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.